I'm Gary Knoll. This is the Progressive Commentary Hour. Our theme today, what really happened on January 6th? Was it the worst insurrection in American history? The mainstream media were saying it was as bad as Pearl Harbor or 9-11. And it showed the destabilization of the Republican Party, that it wasn't able to control Trump or Trump supporters, that this represented a clear and present danger to our democracy. And therefore, it was justified to have the largest police investigation through the FBI in our country's history, to bring these thousand-plus individuals, and they're really looking at 2,000, to justice, because these people cannot be trusted. They represent a threat to our, our freedom. And the American media has kept on that story. And then we get, after the Republicans took over the House of Representatives, we get the actual footage, all of the footage. But hold on. We were shown footage. There was a special committee in Congress in the House of Representatives. Liz Cheney was on it and others. And they all said that you know, this is the video. This shows you what they did. Didn't we hear that a police officer, several people were killed, police officers, one with a fire extinguisher bashed into his head, and that the police tried to stop the crowds, but the crowds just overwhelmed them? That's what we were told. Now we know more, and the more we know, the weaker their argument becomes. You're going to watch now and listen to Tucker Carlson, and you can watch this by going to PRN.live, scrolling down to archives, scrolling down to Gary Knoll's footnotes. Tucker Carlson is interviewing a gentleman who is a member of Congress. He's a member of the House. He was also a former law enforcement officer, and he had questions, and the questions weren't being answered. And he wanted information. The information was not forthcoming. So he did his own investigation with his staff and then began to see that we were not being told the truth and that a lot of the information that we were given was cherry-picked and what was left out. I'll give you some examples of that. We are shown where the people came into the Capitol. They had no guns. They had no weapons. And they were just walking through. We also, in the footage that was not shown to the public by the media and by Congress and the Congressional Committee, were shown that they're being ushered into rooms. Doors to the Senate are being unlocked and to the House unlocked. And the person shown right in. They could have been stopped. They weren't. Why would the police, Capitol Police, unlock doors? In fact, there's one point where a person's just walking through and he's just, you know, walks right on past all the guards who are just standing there talking. How does that comport with what we were told? 
Then we have a video where a rioter is taken in handcuffs into a back room, and then you see that the Capitol Police uncuff him, and he high-fives, fist bumps, and walks out through an exit. He was a governmental agent. And then the FBI lied and said the FBI had nothing to do with any of this. It did. They lied. Head of the FBI lied. Head of the Justice Department lied. They had at least a minimum, according to this gentleman, 200 agent provocateurs. Now, this was a multi-agency conspiracy. They'd been working on this for some time. Why? Because we're afraid of Trump being reelected. But they had put five years into trying to destroy Trump by showing that he won the election against Hillary Clinton in 2016 with Russia's help. Remember, that was every day, all day, by thousands cumulatively of guests on all the media coming on, saying, well, including Adam Schiff, we have absolute evidence, irrefutable evidence, that uh, Trump colluded. We have the evidence, and he was on the Special Investigations Committee, so he would have known. In fact, he headed it, and he was present everywhere. So they decided to do an investigation, and they did. Oh, and then they did it again. And then another group did a third one. We've got to catch him somewhere. And then they finally did the fourth congressional investigation. And the last investigation involved dozens of attorneys, and it was overseen by a special counsel. And the special counsel found that there was no collusion whatsoever. To the contrary, there was government interference. There was meddling in the election. There was tampering with the election results by the Democrats. Yes. And how specifically did that happen? Well, it started with a dossier that was paid for by Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Democratic National Party. And then they gave it to one of their top law firms. And then it went over from there to people at the FBI. And then the FBI had the dossier. It was called the Steele dossier, a British former spy. And they knew that it was false. There was glaring errors in it. It was all put together as a way of trying to destroy Trump's credibility. Maybe they thought that if they could prove that Russia conspired with Trump to win election, that they could overturn the results of the election. That's a hypothesis I have. And therefore, Hillary would be able to become president. Now, that goes against our constitutional rules. That's not how it works. But these people were desperate. They couldn't lose power. Why not? And did we ever ask ourselves, why is it that every media in the country, every major corporation, all the military industrial contractors, all the banks, all of Wall Street, all of Silicon Valley, all supported Hillary Clinton, knowing her and her husband's background and record for deception and lies and self, self-promotion didn't matter. And no one supported Trump. Oh, except, you know, a lot of middle-class working people. But they're all rednecks. They're racist. They're deplorable. 
Well, maybe about 2 to 3% were. But the vast majority were just regular people, and a huge amount of those were former Democrats, former liberal people who had been lied to by every administration, offshoring jobs, that was the Clintons and Bush, and Bush again, yeah, and Obama. They all took our American jobs, probably upwards of 30 million over 45 years, and shipped them out, causing rust belts. Those rest belts just didn't happen. They were created. And so one day, a person who just is a regular person, they're not looking to be famous or rich, they don't need their 15 minutes of fame, they just want to have some security. They want to have a roof over their head, food on the table, clothes on their back, and a good public school that their kids can learn how to learn critical thinking from and go on and be even more successful than the parents. But everyone forgot about them, Republican and Democrat. As a result, a once thriving city, Detroit, became a ghetto. I know that for a fact, because I've been to Detroit many times, in fact, dozens of times, and I would go on PBS out in Detroit and help them raise funds. And the chauffeur would pick me up and take a different route, and i say, why? He said, because if I drove you through the main town, there's a big chance of carjacking and so we take these side routes, come in from the opposite side. I went to Compton. I went to Camden. I went to Philadelphia. I went all over the country to do my documentary, Poverty, Inc. And I'm doing this as an extended introduction because I'm only using a small part of his clip. But I want to give you a little more background on this because it's all interconnected. All of this connects. So we went down to Camden, New Jersey, and I had a whole camera crew with me, my normal camera crew. And we had our van, and we started to go into a neighborhood, and this car pulled up in front of us, and said, a woman got out, said, uh, showed us a badge, says, you can't go down these streets. I said, why not? <laughs> there are probably a hundred different gang members just on this street alone, you won't get four blocks. They'll come out, they'll draw their guns, they'll rip you off. And I said, well, okay. How many blocks in Camden am I going to face this? And she said, almost the entire town. All right. But over in the corner, I saw a barber shop. And I'm thinking, that would be a place to start. So we thanked the officer. Legally, she couldn't stop us, so we went over. And I went in, and I spoke with the barber. And I said, you've been here a long time? Long time. So you know everyone. I know everyone. You know a lot of the gang members. Yeah. Uh, they were kids growing up when I had this barber shop. I know them all. Well, we're here to give them an opportunity to tell their story of how they became a gang member, why, what happened to Camden, who is responsible, and all we'd like for you to do is to give us safe passage, introduce us. He thought about it. He said, well, he's okay, I'll do that. So he made some calls. He said, okay, no one's going to bother you. And sure enough, no one did bother us. For an entire day, we went from block to block, and you could see up in the windows guys with uh, guns, you could see walkie-talkies, 
binoculars. These guys, they were looking at their whole territory. And we met people and we interviewed them. And what happened was, again, and we never discussed this in America, I've never heard a conversation, I've never seen a major article in the New York Times headline, the reason we have so much crime today, one of the primary reasons is because of poverty that we created, that Wall Street created, that big corporations created, that governmental agencies created, the presidential candidates who became president honored the corporations, gave them money, and they took these jobs out because it was a time in Camden that it was one of the most successful, thriving, economically stable, crime-free communities in America. So who are the people who worked at the shipyards, who worked at, uh, uh, in the uh, Campbell Soup Company, who worked in all these factories that were there? These were just working-class, middle-class people. So what happens when you take away their jobs overnight, give them no benefits, but there are no other competing jobs they can go in and get? Because you're doing it everywhere. And then, then you start having problems within the family. And then you have a lot of divorces. You have alcoholism. You have drug addiction. Anything to take a person away from the pain of not being able to control the moment they're in. If you don't think that is a reality, then you haven't done your homework. Go around America. Talk with the people as I talk with them. And almost all these people were Democrats because they believed that the Democratic Party brought them out of poverty, gave them a good working uh, background, FDR, uh, in, after World War II, where from 1940 to about 1975, we had a thriving middle class. And look what happened to that thriving middle class where 51% of all people were unions, and most unions were Democrats. And they let the leaders of their unions and the politicians that said they'll keep their jobs, they put them in office. So think of how patient those people were to see everything that was promised rescinded, taken away, until one day, they were unemployed. Their whole community, whole towns in Texas, Irving, Texas, I was there. I bought a ranch there in Tioga, Texas. I was a primary source of the employment in that town of 242 people. Everything was desolate. You go down a main street uh, in Arlington and, wow, store after store was closed. This was 1989. And uh, what happened? The jobs were taken overseas. All right? So when you talk about poverty, take a look at how we became ghettoized in America. So what has happened since then? About nothing. Tell me which president and which administration has de-ghettoized America. Tell me the city. I'll go there. I'll film. I'm doing my newest film. Brother, can you spare a dime on our new poverty, which is going to be worse than the poverty of 2008? If you think it was bad in 2008, if you think home foreclosures were bad, you have not seen this tsunami coming at us in the next 12 to 24 months where they digitize all money, control what you buy. So in any case, these people were betrayed 
So you take someone who trusted you, Clinton and Obama and Bush, and you lied to them. You cared about yourself, your foundations, and the people that got you into power. But those people that grow your food? No. Turn your back on them. Because they're not important. And then you make sure that they're not respected. They're deplorable. You mean 65 to 70 million people are deplorable? Absolutely. So if you voted for Trump, you're deplorable. Absolutely. Hmm. Well, that will work as long as you're empowering and control the media, as long as you control the narrative, and that's what they tried to do. But with each one of these failed investigations to find Trump and Russia colluded, it kept another one going. Till finally, all four investigations, including the Durham investigation, showed it was the Democrats and the Clinton and Obamas who were behind all this. So, if that didn't work, what do you do next? Create a national emergency. Create, a, create a, an event you can say was worse than Pearl Harbor. Well, how many police officers died at January 6th? None. Uh, how many people used fire extinguishers to beat people's heads in? None. I see. Was there anyone killed? Yeah, there was an innocent, unarmed woman who was killed on January 6th. She had no gun. So you had over 200 agent provocateurs from government agencies working together to entrap people so you could control the media, therefore you can control how it looked. But now the true story is coming out. So again, I ask you, think about this for a moment. Show me the city in America that has been de-ghettoized. Detroit? Compton? Newark? Philadelphia, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York City? No. All of them are in the process of being fully ghettoized. So now you have this dynamic I talked about on multiple occasions. You have green zones where the rich and powerful live and work and socialize, and everything else is Mad Maxville. And it's going to get a lot worse. I mean, a lot worse because of politics doing anything, including allowing almost 9 million people to come into the United States without knowing who they are and what they're doing and how to support them and how this will impact American workers and quality of life. Just get the vote. Anything to get the vote. Well, they already tried everything else, and now look at what they're doing. So I'm concerned, and that's why I want you to hear this and watch this so please understand, the reason I'm doing this extended uh, introduction is because we can only play about 20 minutes of the Tucker Carlson clip. And I commend Tucker Carlson on the quality of some of the interviews he's doing. I share a completely different point of view on a lot of things with Tucker, but when he gets it right, he's reaching more people than Joe Rogan. He's reaching more people than the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post combined. He's reaching more than ABC, NBC, and CBS combined. So he's a formidable force out there. And yet they'll do anything they can to try to destroy him in the process. So let's just put the pieces together. First and foremost, there was no Russian collusion. Four separate investigations found that. Did anyone apologize for being wrong? Did you see anyone 
at any of the major media say, you know something, every day, 24-7, especially at CNN, we have been saying that Trump is illegitimate, and then Hillary goes on saying, yeah, it's illegitimate, and yet it was Hillary Clinton personally, and I can only imagine the echo of her husband behind her, and then the Clinton campaign, who thought maybe we can overturn this election, or if not, we'll make sure that the next election he won't win. And so they fabricated, out of whole cloth, the Steele dossier, totally discredited it. And then, next, the FBI, Comer, the head of the FBI, and a whole group around him, then falsified documents called the FISA warrants. And he personally signed, and others signed, on those documents to FISA judges in order to... uh, wiretap and and look into the background of some of the people around Trump. And they succeeded, all based upon lies. Who was held accountable? It's a federal crime to knowingly lie on a FISA warrant. And they did exactly that four or five times. No one was held accountable. Hillary Clinton hid confidential, over 30,000 confidential um, emails and then tried to destroy them using beach split uh, and uh, hammers and everything they could do. That's a crime. And then Comey says, well, I don't think any legitimate you know, prosecutor would be able to bring this to trial and win. Nonsense. That's the power of the deep state. So now they've got him where he can't be on ballots. That is unconstitutional. And all this fabrication, even yesterday, wouldn't even allow him, or a couple days ago, wouldn't allow him to make his own closing arguments. That's unheard of. All this will be overturned. Mark my words, every single thing will be overturned. Do I like Trump? No, I do not. Do I think he is the most immature, petulant, egotistical person ever to run for office? Yes, I do. But This is really not about Trump. This is about they couldn't control him. So if you put all your eggs in one basket, if you want a candidate, and everybody supports that candidate, it's because they can control the outcome. And that's what they've done with all these. And that's why no one is rebuilding America. We're not bringing jobs back to America. We could reemploy millions of Americans at a living wage, but we choose not to. And so that's where we're at. Now, that's why I believe that January 6th, the evidence that is presented now, will give us a different way of approaching this topic. But will people be held accountable for their lies and deception? Shouldn't we have a special counsel come in and bring everyone from Liz Cheney and Adam Schiff and everyone else that was on that panel Shouldn't we have them investigated? Yes, we should. And shouldn't we have a special investigation into the FBI and the CIA and Homeland Security's involvement in creating a January 6th? Yes, we should. And let the results be what they are. So that's how bad it is. So now, one person, only on Tucker Carlson, is going to give you their 
evidence. So watch carefully, listen carefully. All right? And just remember, when they start attacking the voters themselves in mass, just all of them are deplorable, are terrible people, are racist, then you know that something is being hidden, the truth, and you know they're trying to control the outcome by any means possible. Wow, our society is falling apart. We are not going to rebuild anything. We're not going to save anything. We're not going to reform anything. We're not going to change anything because it's too late. Those in power have been so wanton in their abuse that they don't hide it anymore. They lie. So that's why I play certain clips to show you who's being called out for lying in front of Congress. We don't see those clips anywhere in the media, do we? You don't have anyone at the New York Times saying, but the, today under oath, this person was shown documents that prove that they lied at the FBI or Homeland Security. No. So we do have some courageous individuals in both the House and the Senate who are bringing us committee hearings to show the truth. Good for them. And we'll bring that information as it becomes available. Now to our clip. It has been exactly three years since January 6th, the events of January 6th, the racist insurrection that shocked this nation to its core more profoundly than anything since Pearl Harbor plus the Civil War. Um, and it has taken a while, honestly, even for people who aren't on the side of the professional liars to realize there's something amiss about what happened that day, not just the response the largest law enforcement mobilization in the history of the United States, that was obviously disproportionate because it wasn't the worst riot that year, not even close. But the day itself, there was something about January 6th that didn't feel right. And hovering over that day has remained the question, to what extent was it a setup? And we still don't really know. But what's interesting is how few people have asked that entirely legitimate question. One of the very few, really one of the only in the United States Congress, is a member called Clay Higgins from Louisiana. And in case you haven't seen this clip, it's worth rewatching. This is from 2022 in a Homeland Security Committee hearing where he asked it just directly of the FBI director. Watch. Did the FBI have confidential human sources embedded within the January 6th protesters on January 6th of 2021? Well, Congressman, as I'm sure you can appreciate, I have to be very careful about what I can say about when even are, now, because that's what you not, told us two years finish? ago. May I finish? Uh, about when we do and do not, and where we have and have not used confidential human sources. Uh, but to the extent that there's a suggestion, for example, that the FBI's confidential human sources or FBI employees in some way instigated or orchestrated January 6th, that's categorically false. Did you have confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters inside the Capitol on January the 6th prior to the doors being opened? Again, I had to be very careful. It should be a no. Can you not tell the American people? No, we did not have confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters position inside the Capitol. Gentlemen's time has expired. You should not read anything into my decision uh, not to share information. Gentlemen's time has expired. What a sleazy, repulsive little authoritarian liar Chris Ray is. That's obvious when you watch that tape. The sad part is so few tapes like that exist because so few have confronted him directly and asked questions 
to which the entire country has a right to know the answer, like that one. Clay Higgins did that. Congressman from Louisiana, Louisiana Lafayette, joins us in studio. Congressman, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Tuck. So that was over a year ago that you asked that question, which is a central question, and you asked it as I think is appropriate without any embarrassment at all on behalf of your constituents and the rest of the country. Are you any closer to the answer now? Well, we're closer to being in a position where we can reveal the answers that we already have. Um, much of the evidence that we have compiled from investigative effort and over the, the course of the last couple of years, some offices like my own would have operated in silos of investigative endeavor um, have now been able to come together now that we have a Republican majority and we have access to the, to the, to the staffs of the appropriate investigative committees. And so I sit on the oversight committee and we Republicans run that committee now, therefore we control the staff. So when you can magnify the efforts that individual uh, members of Congress have, have, have pushed within our own offices, when you can magnify those efforts by the, the skill and the numbers of staff from the committees, you've you, you get a lot of evidence reviewed professionally and aligned and assembled into a, essentially a case file. And in, in this case, this is a big file because the, the, the involvement of, of certain actors, you could say deep state actors within the federal government to set the stage for uh, what happened in, in J four, five, and six, and and to um, entrap thousands of Americans from across the country and lure them into this this set stage on J four, five, and six. The people that were involved in that is 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 quite a large web. So yes, sir, we do have a great deal of evidence compiled. And we're we're gradually, professionally uh, rolling that evidence out. So you sort of answered the question right there in larger terms. You just said that elements within the federal government, I assume law enforcement, intel, and military, and I'm using your words, lured Americans to Washington into what you called a trap. Yes, sir. So that would, I mean, that's a shocking... And I assume that's a that's a sober conclusion based on the evidence. That's what you're saying. That's that would be my sober assessment as an investigator, and a you know I'm quite a I love my country and and I I've, I've always been a staunch defender of the thin blue line, and I I would proudly count the FBI amongst that number. It's like brothers to me. So to find that level of uh, of conspiratorial corruption at the highest levels of the FBI uh, has been very troubling to me as a man, as a cop. And and yet, you know, you follow the evidence wherever it leads. And yes. this is what investigators do. So uh, when I asked Christopher Ray that, that question, for instance, I, I already knew the answer. I had reviewed compelling evidence that the, that FBI had assets, human assets, dressed as Trump supporters inside the Capitol prior to the doors being opened and the 
masses allowed in. Uh, so I, I knew that the FBI was deeply involved. I'd seen evidence even at that time with uh, that the FBI had embedded themselves into various groups online across the country of Americans who were essentially uh, voicing their, their concerns and airing their grievances with each other about COVID oppression. And those Americans were targeted by the FBI, though almost universally Republicans and, and uh, largely Trump supporters, but the FBI worked undercover to infiltrate those conversations and become a significant part of those individual Americans' uh, communications. And when you dig into the evidence that we've, we've had revealed through, through some criminal cases that I've, I've followed and worked with the families of J6 uh, political detainees and Americans that have been persecuted for their involvement in, in the Capitol that day, and some of that evidence is shockingly reveals that the, the, the FBI agents that were operating undercover within the online groups across the country were, were the first ones to plant the seeds of, of uh, suggestions of, of, a, of a more radical occupation of the Capitol. And, and they were sort of testing the waters of who amongst that group would would begin acknowledging that you know yeah maybe, maybe we should do that maybe we should plan for an occupation like that but if you look at the the origins of those conversations they they were started by the the FBI undercover guy that was operating inside the group and then months later uh, on January fourth fifth and sixth. Many of those Americans met for the first time in person when they gathered for the massive rally where American patriots assembled to object to, to everything that had happened during 2020, the COVID oppression, and the, the stunning results of what we believe was a compromise election cycle in November 2020. So Americans gathered at their own capital to... to appropriately air grievances and protests at their capital, but embedded amongst their number was an FBI asset that had been working from within their group online for many months. So this was the level of, uh, of manipulative effort that the FBI invested into American citizenry and our our assembly online to, our, to exercise our rights under the First Amendment, to talk to each other about whatever we want to talk about, including the, the, the insidious oppressions of COVID that we were suffering across the country. So, and our concerns about where the election was going, the whole mail-in ballot thing, we could see the stage was being set for a compromised election cycle, possibly, and to our horror, that's what happened. So FBI had fingerprints on this thing from for many months prior to J4, 5, and 6. I want to go back to something you said in the first sentence, which is you have seen evidence, and that spurred your questions 
to Chris Ray that there were FBI assets dressed as Trump supporters within the Capitol. So that is proof of entrapment because, of course, the federal government could have prevented entry into the Capitol building. There aren't that many doors. You work there, you know. But they allowed people in on purpose to entrap them. That's what that proves, I think. Does it not? Well, it's certainly condemning. It's another piece of the of the strategy that the that the government employed to sort of complete the entrapment of Americans that they had had uh, infiltrated and then prodded and provoked with online with the with the, those original seeds planted of of uh, actions like you know, what type of gear to wear and 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 just to, in language that incited behavior that could go the wrong way. You know, pushing actions of, of legal and legitimate peaceful protest to an edge where where those Americans would likely not have gone had they not been been, you know, encouraged by the FBI plant amongst their number that they didn't know was there. So by the time it was actually J6 and you had you had uh, masses of Americans assembled outside the Capitol, um, almost like 99.9%, 100% peaceful. On the inside, you had FBI assets dressed as Trump supporters that knew their way around the Capitol. Before the doors even open. Before the doors open. Or else, how are you going to get around the Capitol? You've been there many times. You need a guide to get from whatever door you go in. It's a labyrinth. It's, it's, it's a maze inside there. So you, that's right. So there's no way, just Americans, most of which have never been to the Capitol, there's no way they can come in some random door that gets opened and then get their way directly to the, to the statuary or the House chamber or the Senate chamber. It's, it's just not possible. So the, the, the FBI assets that were dressed as Trump supporters that were inside the Capitol were there, I believe, and evidence indicates that they were there to, to specifically wave in the, the Trump supporters that had gathered outside the Capitol and the doors open and they were allowed in. And on the inside were, were oh, there's some more Trump supporters, but really those were FBI assets, law enforcement assets that knew their way around the Capitol. And they, they waved those guys in, said, come on, follow us. And they, they're the ones that led them on the path directly. How do you think a guy has never been to the Capitol, going to come into the Capitol all amped up on, on emotion and make his way straight to Nancy Pelosi's office? Come on. It's like I couldn't get it. There's no way. I've been there for seven years. Could come in some random door at the Capitol and make my way to Nancy Everything Pelosi. is unmarked. I mean, those leadership offices are unmarked. So it's, how would it, you know It's that? confusing That's to right. get around in the Capitol. Every American that has been there knows this. When you go on a tour, you bring your family to D.C., you go through the Capitol, you have to have a guide. And, and on January 6th, the guides were FBI assets, the law enforcement assets. And they were dressed as Trump supporters. They were positioned inside the Capitol prior to the doors being opened so that the Americans that had assembled outside the Capitol, once allowed in, could be brought directly to, 
protected areas where the FBI and the DOJ and the deep state actors knew would be the most uh, the most sort of condemning criminal action of of Americans being a lot being inside the Capitol um, protesting without permit and things. So they knew they were setting the stage for arrest and prosecution. It's such a crime. Who who planned this? Do you think? I think factions plan this. I wouldn't say who, Tucker, because that, yeah, I don't think there was one person that that planned this. But I believe the the faction of uh, establishment liberals within the the FBI and the Democrat Party and our intelligence services to to another extent. Um, Use their massive powers of surveillance and uh, in and investigative uh, assets that they have across the country, confidential informants, registered informants, non-registered informants, voluntary informants. It's a, it's a, it's a, a complex web of of FBI assets across the country. It can be activated. So if you have authority at some of the highest levels in the FBI, it doesn't take much. The faction within the FBI and within our intelligence services that would coordinate with with the most extreme liberal uh, factions within a Democrat party that were desperate to keep Trump out of office and and you know worked within the the theater of operations shall we say that had been that had been set by the covid alleged medical emergencies nationwide and millions and millions of mail in ballots there's no daylight between the the compromised election cycle of november 2020 and ultimately what happened on 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 J six? So you ask who planned this? This would be the combination of several several of the most extreme liberal, anti-Trump, anti-America first factions that uh, that were in positions of authority within our our federal law enforcement organizations and the the Democrat party across the country. Can when you say that there were FBI assets in the crowd in, in the building beforehand and, and certainly outside, what's the scale of this? Are you talking like 10, 20? No. Um based upon some very conservative but like hard investigative effort evaluation of of the numbers from putting together eyewitnesses and and videos and uh and affidavit statement and whistleblower statements and uh court records that have been revealed through individual criminal cases where j6 defendants have been prosecuted and smart attorneys have forced uh admissions 
by the DOJ and the FBI, but those admissions have been sealed within the parameter of that criminal case by protective order by the judge, so they, I, I can't share them, but I've seen them. So r real hard, objective, and conservative um, estimates would, would put the number of FBI assets in the crowd, outside, and working inside at at well over 200. 200? Yeah. Yeah. So you were in law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. Before you came to Congress in the military as well. Um, that seems, that's an extraordinary number. Is it? Well, no. When you think about the scope of the operation, if you were going to do this, you would need, you but, would need but that But relative number. to, so like when, I don't know, Minneapolis burned down or when St. John's, the Episcopal Church across from the White House in Lafayette Square was set ablaze and all the Secret Service agents were injured. Were there 200 FBI assets in the crowd among Antifa then? I mean, I, I don't know how many undercover agents the FBI would have in a situation like that, but to, but 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 J6 was the was the was the final act prior to arrest and prosecution of of Americans that that were identified as as Trump supporters. I mean, the objective was to destroy the entire mega movement to to forever stain the uh the patriotic fervor that was associated with with the America First mega movement that had won in 2016 and we believe won again in 2020 and the the establishment uh on both sides of both major parties were determined to to smash that out of existence, not just by defeating Trump, but by destroying the uh, the reputations of the movement itself, by creating this narrative that that was totally false, uh, but but was heavily pushed that the that mega Republicans, America First Republicans, are somehow a danger to our republic and. A, a domestic terror threat. There's a whole nother story about what the FBI has done to tagging Americans as uh, suspected domestic terrorists and and following us as we travel across the country. But the the bottom line is that uh, 200, as a I, I believe, is a conservative number. Personally, I think there were there's many more, but. A number that I'm comfortable going on record with is that we believe that there were that there were easily 200 FBI undercover assets operating in the crowd uh, outside the Capitol, embedded into groups that entered the Capitol or provoked entry of the Capitol, and working with. FBI assets that would have included Metro Police and Capitol Police that would dress as Trump supporters inside the Capitol because those were the guys that knew their way around the Capitol. So given the scope of the operation and the number of, of doors where uh, entry was allowed or e even encouraged, um, then the, and the number of people that were actually outside 
the capital and it entered, we believe 200 is a conservative number. Yes, sir. Welcome back, everyone. Now to the final part of our program. I want to emphasize that they're probably in the neighborhood of 15 people between the House and the Senate who are coming forward and asking tough questions of people who, well, had different departments in the cabinet. For example, Homeland Security, the FBI, the National Security Agency, the CIA, and other agencies. They're showing you, if you watch these, that we're being lied to either because of people's gross incompetence or because of some hidden agenda on a daily basis. So good for Jim Jordan. He's just one example of letting you know what you would not know otherwise because no one in the mainstream media is covering this. Now let's go to one typical example of how someone cannot respond honestly because it would jeopardize them. Hard evidence. Mr. Johnson said that uh, we're not only witnesses to censorship, we were victims. The Republican website on the House Judiciary Committee posted this story and it was limited where it could go. You got they, 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 they exercise censorship of the House Judiciary Republican account, for goodness sake. Ms. Wiley, uh, you were a lawyer for the ACLU? I was. Mr. Kennedy, I remember when the ACLU defended the first, they were the champions of the First Amendment. You remember that? You remember that ACLU? I remember when the ACLU represented Nazis who they, who, who they were appalled by. Appalled, disgusted right. by, and yet they would defend the crazy things they said, right? That, that's how much the First Amendment meant to them, right? Exactly. I want to go back to where Mr. Stubbe was. I want to talk about this hard evidence that Mr. Goldman says doesn't exist. I want to read from the, from the facts this is what the White House was saying. I want to go to just three statements. One, cannot stress the degree. This is statements from our from the Biden White House to social media. Cannot stress the degree to which this needs to be resolved immediately. Please remove this account immediately. Same kind of thing they put on yours. Remove ASAP. But here's the here's the better one. Here's the better one. Mr. Flaherty, who ran this COVID operation misinformation concept at the White House, Mr. Flaherty said this. Not to sound like a broken record, how much content is being demoted and how effective are you at mitigating reach and how quickly? And we should just translate that because this is real simple. How much censorship are you doing it? How much censorship are you doing and how quickly are you doing it? But I think the kicker is what Jin Psaki, the press secretary, said back in 2021. Look at this. Now think about this. The press secretary I mean, they were talking about the White House, considered the center of freedom on the planet. The press secretary in the press room says this. We are in regular touch with these social media platforms, and those engagements typically happen through members of our senior staff, but also members of our COVID-19 team. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook that spread disinformation, their definition, of course. Saki also stated one of the White House asks was of social media companies to create a robust enforcement strategy. So you got the press secretary in the press room in the White House saying we're going to limit the press. Now, that is frightening. That is frightening. And Ms. Wiley from the ACLU, lawyer with the ACLU, thinks that's somehow appropriate. We know it's not. And their number one target, Mr. Kennedy, was you. Was you, a Democrat, their primary opponent. I, I just, I find that, I find that amazing. And I would just like, I would like any thoughts you may have on, because here's the scary thing. And Dennis and I had this conversation a while back. 
if you, if you don't have a robust First Amendment, if you try to restrict what the people say and what the press reports, that is a scary place to go. Because if you can't have debate and work out our differences, like you said in your amazing opening statement, let's work together, let's figure this out. But if you can't have that robust debate and figure things out, the alternative is scary. And that's exactly where we're headed. And I would, I would encourage everyone to read Mr. Kennedy's written statement. I read it this morning. Amazing. He walks through the history here. That is what's at stake. And that's why what you're doing, whether we agree with what you say or not, and we, I disagree with what you said last week, what they played. I think a lot of people did. You've, 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 you've clarified it, but it's about protecting the Constitution and the First Amendment. I'll give you the last minute and a half, Mr. Kennedy. Uh, well, you know, what I would say is that the, the founders of our, and the framers of our Constitution knew that democracy was a very inefficient system, that it had all of these built-in inefficiencies and difficulties. They said that they felt that it would give us the one thing that would give us an advantage over totalitarian systems was this capacity for the free flow of information and, and a complete lack of control of debate so that ideas that would eventually mature into policies would be annealed in a furnace of debate and then rise through the marketplace of ideas rather than being dictated from above. And that's what would give the energy, the vibrancy, the vigor to democracy. When they invented this democracy, we were the first one in the modern era in 1780. By 1865, five other nations had imitated us. I, today, it's 190 nations based upon our system. We are supposed to be the exemplary democracy and the Warner Foundation Stone of our system is freedom of speech. All of the other freedoms depend on it. If we lose that, not only do we lose our democracy in this country, but the entire world exactly. loses us as an example. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better. And that's our program for today. I want to thank you all for taking the time and for the good work that Tucker Carlson did on that interview. Again, that's information we would not have known. You won't hear about that in the New York Times, MSNBC, or anyone else. But here you will. So we want to thank him for that, and we look forward to sharing more on our next program. Have a nice day, everyone. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find.